Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Negotiation. And on today's show, our guest may just be the longest tenured China hand we've ever had on the show. Scott Silverman, who is currently the Director of Integrated Marketing at the Context Collective, dramatically shifted gears from morning drive radio and sketch comedy to joining Ogilvy in the 90s to then be sent to Beijing with the instructions, Fix China referring to the IBM account they managed at the time. Scott has been working in and around China ever since. We talk about launching IBM's e-business and rejecting the oft-used wall test when it came to creating creative in Asia. We talk about the importance of localizing imagery or copy for each local market and the difference in measuring impact in the 2000s versus five years ago to gauge what was working and what wasn't. Scott also takes us on a trip down memory lane around the impact mobile had on the marketing agency world in markets like Japan and China and the changes it predicated in digital media, as well as the changes it brought in the consumers the brands were targeting and trying to catch up with the expectation of immediacy. Enjoy. Make something. Make something now, and we'll test it. If it doesn't work, we'll throw it out. We'll try something again. And that's the mentality that if you're coming into the China market, or if you're in the China market and struggling, you need to be patient, you need to invest, and you need to realize that uh, as soon as you say go, you better be ready to go. And you better be ready to make some mistakes. You better be ready to fail. Because the only way you're going to succeed is by failing many, many times. That's how you make it in China. And the speed to fail is the speed to success. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore. But entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, Todd. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Okay, this is going to be fun. I can already tell from the beginning. <laughs> um, and, you know, you have some, I think you may actually be the most tenured guest with regards to China that we've ever had because you go back way into like mid 90s, right? And, yeah. you know, this is back to the time you were saying, I think it may have been Ogilvy, I might be wrong, but they were like, yeah. okay, listen, Tim, we need you to tool time up and, and go to, uh, you know, go to Asia, maybe go to China, fix China for us. Um, walk us through a little bit about how you ended up up in China and, you know, kind of walk us through from then till now. Okay. First, um, my background is I've had a lot of twists and turns uh, spanning door-to-door sales, rejection, morning drive radio, sketch comedy, before I got a real job at 34 years old with Ogilvy LA. And they stuck me in the Microsoft business. I had no idea what I had absolutely... All I could do is turn on the radio. That was my extent of, of, of understanding technology. And then about four years later, we had to... F- Ogilvy had to fire Microsoft because we had the IBM business. And uh, I was going to leave and they said, hey, you want to go to Japan? I went, Japan, I got three kids. And uh, 
okay, I'll go. He goes, you want to see Japan? I go, no, 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 I've seen it on TV. You know, they got the big monsters and everything. The kids are going to love it. So we all moved to Japan. Six months later, they said, um, listen, um, we need you to go fix China. I said, how long is this going to be? They said, oh, it's going to just be like four months. Four years later, I, I was still fixing China. It was a pretty wild ride. Um, you know, launched the business, um, had to fight a lot with my people and, and the IBM corporate people about they wanted to do the, you know, the wall test where they wanted to just insert all the global advertising in China with e-business. And we all said, it's not going to work. Anyway, I, I can go into the specifics later, but uh, I'm back in the United States after um, 18 glorious years in Asia, 12 of which in China. China, uh, all of which in China in beautiful Beijing. You spent you spent all the time living in Beijing. All, all my China, all my China days have been in Beijing. Yeah, I, I had four different tours of duty in Beijing because I was also living in Hong Kong when I worked in a Motorola business, and uh, I, I lived in Singapore as well. But Beijing always it, it 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 always pulled me back. You were sent to fix China. Okay, so what were you met with? What was the understanding? What was the landscape? How did, did you accomplish a goal? If yes, how? If not, why? I did. Um, my, my goal was very simple. It was IBM. That was that. That was the largest client, not only in China, but all across Asia. And because of IBM, the culture that Ogilvy developed over the next 15 years was really funded by their partnership with IBM. So it was absolutely imperative that these clients that hated us, they needed to love us. And, and one of the things that irritated them is they didn't like creative shoved down their throats, especially creative that they felt didn't, wouldn't resonate with um, you know, their, the customers in China. And I totally agreed with them. So I got on board with them right away, you know, much of the, to the dismay of, you know, my team in New York and the IBM clients saying, what the hell are you doing? What do you mean you're agreeing with them? I said, well, the business campaign, you want to launch it here. And there's a lot of wordplay. And, and besides, it's all text driven. There needs to be a way to make e-business resonate with you know, with, with the folks that you wanted to resonate with. They said, okay, come up with an idea. So what we did is I had a great team. Um, we used iconography to, um, you know, to communicate e-business first in recognizing what e-business was. So we, the E, we just took a string of firecrackers, red firecrackers, and the business we used a dragon. So it was a dragon and the firecrackers that, that we used to communicate and then, um, uh, get into the local parlance what e-business was, but that still wasn't enough. In China at that time, it was it, the, the digital was nascent. And so we needed to get TV. Well, we didn't have any money for TV. All the money was going to other countries. So the you know guys in Armang said, just figure it out. So my guys, again, they came up with a brilliant plan. They said, well, why don't we do PSAs? And why don't we create stories showing how technology and e-business will help China get up to the world stage and show like four or five vignettes and just don't put IBM in it. So we, we said, okay, let's write some up and, and gave it to the media department and they presented it to the censors and they approved it. So we ran these, you know, these vignettes for, you know, it's a couple of months, didn't have to pay a cent. And what it did was the, the pre and post um, awareness of e-business and IBM went from nothing 
to like 60% unaided awareness when they saw e-business, even though everybody was using e-business, including a lot of the government organizations, they all associated with IBM. So I thought that was a really big win, you, taking something and also convincing you know, the, the folks, the Americans, um, that the wall test doesn't work in China and that let us do our own thing. Let us do local creative. Let us listen to the client and listen to the customers. And it was hugely successful. And, and I fixed China uh, until something else came along. <laughs> Localization is, is and has been really the key to a lot of things. It's been part of how um, China has uh, become so adaptive with innovation, um, but it's also how companies have been able to even find a modicum of success in that market. Um, and you talked about even uh, you fixed it until it wasn't. And uh, so I'm wondering if you can talk and use maybe some anecdotes from your work, whether it's with Motorola or Coca-Cola, but talking about how the localization is so important. Why? What What is already there? What's the, what's the ingredients in the soup that are already there that predicate the need for localization? And then what can localization look like um, towards a success? Well, the thing the things in the soup are what's the product and and what what do you want the takeaway to be when you know when your audience views whatever whether whether it's a print ad or whether it's a website or whether it's tv commercials like what's what 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 is the takeaway what is the the you know the the perception after they see it before you see it's a general um agent you know agency speak so what's in the soup is you got a product and you got key benefits and 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 these are sacrosanct so you have you know you have the thinkpad and there's a thinkpad they're not going to change the thinkpad it's a beautiful it's black it looks great little red you know the red eraser in the middle i love it um here are the benefits is what thinkpad has a processor and um and best keyboard in, in the world still does blah 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 but the way it resonates doesn't mean you know, taking exactly what they have in the United States and sticking a Chinese person behind the ThinkPad and using the same copy and just translating it. There needs to be, perhaps the benefits need to be calibrated differently. Perhaps the tone and the manner need to be tweaked a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, and that, that, that's something where the, <clears throat> we let the local markets, um, you know, opt in and say, this is what we need. Now, sometimes there was some problems like there we had we had a client in taiwan they like war themes so we had um ibm came up with this uh server and and the proposition was you you know no matter what you know no matter what your customers no matter what your channel partners throw at you you'll be able to handle it with the ibm uh you know system 400s whatever and so they had a guy in camouflage um, with a heart, you know, with, with a military uniform in front of the, in front of the server. And they said, this is good. This, you know, our, our, our channel people will like us. Like, you can't do that. Why? Um, you, you asked to come up with something, you know, work in Taiwan. Well, you know, you, they, the, the war theme is not, not really, you know, the, and you know, we, we went back and forth and I was protecting him. I said, you cannot show this to Armand. They will flip out um and finally they you know we we modified it um it was tough guy without a war uniform without camouflage and without a gun um and but it still was using someone who was a little solemn business-like like 
you know, like, like, uh, like an offensive lineman in football saying, hey, whatever you throw at me, I'm going to be able to block. And that was that. So that's where I said, uh, you know, I fixed it until I didn't. It's like once you empower the local markets, you then need to make sure they don't go, um, you know, off the reservation. Because if, if you know, that happened in Japan, it happened in Taiwan, it happened in, you know, Thailand, um, where we, we really had to limit how localized the ad was so it didn't bastardize the IBM brand. You've been responsible for certain markets, both inside PRC and outside PRC. And if I'm not mistaken, you were doing Beijing and Hong Kong type work, uh, focus work at the same time. So how do you tend to those fields and those markets similarly, but differently? You know, it's like a comedian. You got to know your audience. If you know, if you're, if 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 you're in front of an audience of you know drunk drunk people in Oklahoma, your act's going to be different than if you're in an audience of you know college professors in Berkeley. So the same thing in our business is, I I, I was I, I not only Hong Kong but you know every single market in Asia. The way we approached it was, we we really focused on what what will resonate with the people that we are targeting and and if it's if it's there's no politicizing you know i didn't work on any political accounts i didn't work on any ngos i worked on mostly b2b mostly high tech with a little you know pharmaceutical thrown in so if i'm talking to hong kong my sensibilities for what we have in the hong kong market are quite similar to what we have in shanghai which is, it's very business oriented. Shanghai and Hong Kong, they don't like a lot of visual metaphors. They just want, what do you got? How much does it cost? And why should we care? So it's kind of like the what, the so what, and the now what. Just stick with it. Germany's the same way. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you're dealing with Hong Kong, if you're dealing with Taiwan and Beijing, you, you could be a little bit more conceptual. They like kind of historical imagery. It, they, they enjoy it. it and it, it's, it's, they like the emotion of it. So you play to your audience. So that's, that's what we did. And, and we had some really great clients. Um, and they understood that even in the Asia market, well, there's no such thing as Asia. Um, it's like each, each, and it's actually in China, we tried to even get down to provincial cities. Um, even more so when I worked on the, um, the you know, automotive business, it's, in the provincial cities, uh, the, what you say in Chengdu, how you deliver it is going to be different than how you deliver it in Beijing. But if we just lift it up a little bit, if, if, you, if, if you really connected with consumer insights in the market, if you really understand what the objective is, if you're totally connected with what, what sales and marketing are going after, then you're able to deliver work that works. Were you, ever, were you able to measure those efforts? into going down to a provincial city level. Oh God. Um, and I'm yes. just wondering like so you can effectively say that the ROI was there for the oh, for yeah. putting in the work. Yeah. Now I'm giving you a soft yes because okay. it it really works better if it's not pre and post where you're trying to be the aided and the unaided um, types of research. It really works if it's, if it's a consumer based um, fast moving consumer good. So you could see right off, you know, what's leaving the shelf. So a direct to customer 
type of measurement is the best. Direct response is the best. So in the cases where we had direct response campaigns, yes. If we had direct response and direct marketing, we were able to see what's working in the provinces. We did the ABC tests, um, and a lot of times, different provinces and you know different cities, provincial city, I should say, would be getting work that was just a little different. Maybe the call to action was a little different. Maybe the the bullet points were, you know, they 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 were um, in a different order. Mm-hmm. Um, we would play with it. It was like, there was no, okay, we're, we're done. Let's, let's go eat. It's like we had to be nannies to our work. Every single day, every moment, we had to make sure what, was, what we delivered in the marketplace was working because that's what the client expected. As we start looking towards talking about the evolution and the change of, of the entire industry, I'm curious how you were able to measure and speaking of measuring, how did you measure, let's say, in the 2000s versus how one would measure five years ago? It was very basic in the 2000s. We, we did have some calls to action, which were which which were online. We had a, we, we, we did a lot of there was a lot of direct mail. Mm. Um, and it was very effective um, in wow. a business to business sense. And it was very easy. Um, you know, if people responded now, as soon as we went to EDMs, electronic mail, it was much easier because then we could do the click on the click throughs time on the site. And it would be a much, the much more clarity in seeing what worked in real time, but we didn't have that. So, um, we, we had, we paid attention to the research that we were able to, um, we were de- able to deliver with the tools that we had at the time. So there was pre and post. There was some brand tracking we were doing, though a lot of the brand tra- and we were lucky in China because we were one of the you know top seven markets in the world. You know other markets, as I mentioned, you know um, the Thailands, uh, um, the Taiwan's, and even the Koreas. It was harder for them to measure, but. Um, being in top seven markets in the world, we were able to see what was working and, you know, being able to shift perception when perception was able to be shifted. But now, now it's easy as pie. Now everything is it just almost 100% of what I do right now is digital. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the last time I did, <laughs> I did something that was on film or even video that was not meant for, you know, for YouTube. Um, one budgets are a lot less, um, and, you know, and, and two people are cutting back and they're, they're looking for return on investment and maximizing every, you know, I, if I give you a dollar, I want to earn $2. So now it's much, much easier, you know, from, from the inbound, the outbound, from understanding SEO, what's coming in the website, you know, calibrating customer journeys, which also we didn't have customer journeys back then. Now we have customer journeys. So we're able to, based on the way you enter the site and go through the site, we're able to understand how to get back to you. Mm -hmm. So it's not a non sequitur. Um, And measuring everything. So it was a lot harder then, but we did the best we could. You mentioned, well, alluded to um, in evolving customer, and I do want to get to that, but I do want to quickly ask you about the tsunami-like takeover of mobile, and really what that did was allowed for, I don't even, I, I would guesstimate like a half a billion people to be able to access yeah. the internet. 
You know, I mean, it, it wasn't just so much mobile as the impact was just how many more people are on digital. And can you just just talk about what you saw over your time of the impact that that had? Oh, it was <laughs> in Japan as well. You know, you know, I was in Japan first and we set up M Ogilvy, Mobile Ogilvy with a fellow by the name of Dr. John Ricketts. Um, who has a company now called Significant Systems, which I think is the best consumer insight um, outfit out there, period. Um, but most Japanese, their their first foray into the internet was on mobile. Um, just, just because the PCs they were using, they were just so rigid and unscalable. They, they, nobody even wanted to go on. And, 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 and so all of a sudden you went from zero to, you know, a hundred million people online. And same thing happened in China. Uh, it wasn't as drastic because um, people in China were getting on the internet via, you know, their, their PCs and laptops. But we, it, it was, it was a thrill. Um, uh, because we had to change the way we were communicating and that kept us honest. So there had to, had to be smaller footprint types of, um, creative that would be able to be, you know, um, digested by someone on a small, you know, on, you know, on, on the third screen, as they called it back then, um, whether, you know, whether they were in a bus or whether they were walking it, and it just had, it, 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 it had to, it had to be measured. Uh, again, I, I worked mostly uh, with, with mobile that would have a call to action that we'd be able to see, you know, based on the number of mobile devices that, that you know, that we hit, um, what percentage were clicking on it and what percentage were clicking through. But it was a tsunami and it, it, it changed the way it scared a lot of agency people um, that like you know start everything with okay so let's have a film and um it's, you know big format and let's have an event because no no we need we need we need to go mobile native we need to go little screen to big screen to experiential and it, a, a lot of creatives said oh my god and, and that the, the fortunate thing is this is what brought creative and media together if forced a relationship that before was a little tenuous. It used to be media would be the last guys allowed to present in the room and they got 10 minutes after a dog and pony show of an hour and a half. Now, media was actually much further up the ladder because before the work was presented, they needed to justify how the, what the touch points were going to be and then how the work they we're about to see would deliver to these touch points in a very efficient manner. Um, so that, that's, that's what happened. I, and my, I, I was fortunate because I was running the Motorola business right when this tsunami really hit. Um, I, 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 they, they said, okay, you're done with IBM, go to Motorola. And we won it. And the, 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 the first thing we did is it was a campaign from the U.S. and it was the Moto campaign. Hello, Moto. Right, yeah. Well, that was supposed to be a wild posting. The, the, the corporate campaign was supposed to be intelligence everywhere, showing the entire Motorola is making the invisible visible and how things talking to things. But who owned 85% of the budget of Motorola? Handsets. And the handset people went, wait, 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 wait. We don't want all our money going to semiconductors. No, we need to sell phones. So they said, we want Moto to be the, the brand campaign. And this was... We had to cancel a Super Bowl commercial. 
which was going to be intelligence everywhere. And in one month, come up with a brand campaign for Moto. So what does that mean in China? Moto in Taiwan, motorcycle. And it did in Beijing too. Right. Motorola in Hong Kong meant something like you're about to be fired or something like that. So, so, uh, and Nokia was completely eating Motorola's lunch. So what we did is we needed to teach people to stop using the word Motorola and use Moto. So we, we did a TV commercial, which, which had quick cuts of different people in Beijing, subway, young people, old people saying, Moto, Moto, Moto. Moto. It's like, wow, that's silly. But what it did is it got people recognizing the Moto was Motorola. It made it hip. It made it cool. And um, it, it helped really um, start to change people's perspective of Motorola as being a very stodgy motor, you know, m- you know, mobile phone as opposed to Nokia, which was cooler into something that, that they wanted to use and, you know, and, and something that became actually a fashion statement. So all this was happening at the same time. And we were like, we were fixing a car while it was still moving mode because we had month to taint, change something we've been working on for three months into something that was just supposed to be a wall posting in New York City and a couple of other markets. It's not just that people get on the internet. It's people change. And when your end game is to help people reach people, you know, your end game is to help companies reach people and those people are changing, the target is moving, and now everybody's on mobile and everybody's on internet and the target is moving incredibly fast. Can you talk about, I mean, we talked about the evolution of, of, of internet and, and the impact of digital when the phones came out and allowed so many people to suddenly be on the internet. How did consumers change? How did tastes and preferences change? Well, it was, it was the immediacy that people were, were, were loving. And we were, you know, the QR code, of course, which is still kind of, Americans aren't really embracing it, but the being able to deliver a QR code on a mobile phone that someone could immediately go and transact with it, that was huge. Um, and, you know, for, you know, larger B2B companies, they were always saying, well, you know, that's more of a consumer thing, but really it wasn't. It was, it was giving people real time, just in time information. And whether, whether you're working with a, you know, company like, you know, Nestle, who wanted to calibrate when people were leaving work, um, get them thinking about what they're going to be going to the store to buy. And let's send messages to the people that we knew that, that were in the target audience, planting in their heads, this is what you want to go to the store to buy. This is a great product. Why don't you pick this up? It'll be easier working hard. So it completely, the expectations of of completely shifted in the turbo gear, people weren't as patient anymore. And it, 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 the expectations were, we don't want to wait. It used to be, you know, with a dial up modem, you know, you hear, you know, 28.7 and you didn't get pissed off. <laughs> just took me back. You remember that? And then oh, I do the P133. I think I, yeah. Had. Oh, it was horrible. And then, but the same, the same thing and how slow that you remember you had 2G at 2.5G, then you had 3G, then you had the TDS, SDMA thing. And all, but the whole time, the faster things were delivered to people, the higher their expectations were. So for us, it was really coming up with very succinct messages and not 
really laborious long copy for people that we knew we'd have to be hitting while they were on the move. So it changed a lot of the way. And this is, again, media. This is when they blossom. The, the mobile environment and digital environment is really what turned media into, I mean, the, the 800 pound gorilla from Sounds being. Like you know, be talking about Star Wars. It's kind of like tra- that. Ever tried to watch the old ones from the seventies? I know. I just, just did. Doing my nails off. It was like writer ready. No, but it was the same thing. So, it, but it, it was like this beast. It was this beast that the faster you fed the beast, the the more they wanted even faster, and they would get pissed off. They'd, you know, you know how the, how you know social media in China. You had these people. They were eviscerating. They were eviscerating. Motorola and Nokia, and we're saying, no, 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 it's, it's the infrastructure. Why don't you eviscerate China Mobile? They're the ones that are slow, not us. But no, they have a phone in their hand. They're pissed off at that phone. And, you know, of course, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to, the, the manufacturers don't want to start bagging on, you know, you know China Mobile um, by saying Some that. Some of our audience have to, might have to Google who those companies were. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, but, but no, but the, the point is, is that what, what, mo, what mobile did is completely changed the way we communicate, how people digest information. The budget started to shift drastically from you know 80% awareness advertising lots of tv lots of print so we want more digital we want mobile and we want it now we want to measure everything it's very important and you need to do it now and 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 that's kind of that that was the, yeah. the whole playing field was completely different did outdoor die did tv die no did no no die? no 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 now you have smart smart outdoor um uh, so no, no, I love outdoor and outdoor is actually flourishing because of digital um, TV. No way is the TV die. You still have a huge audience, but you know, it's not the only show in town. It's, it's not like, you know, in the late nineties, you turn on you know one of the TV stations and you'd have 10 minutes of commercials, Daisy chained together, just mm. hitting you. There's PNG, there's Unilever, bam, 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 bam. And, and it was all about carpet bombing, more carpet bombing all of a sudden mm-hmm. people didn't want that nowadays it's how can i pay somebody something to get rid of these damn commercials exactly Ex- exactly it's and like you can you can you know you, you know it's it's like um the taxi cabs uh, that that have the the blaring obnoxious screens in the taxi cabs he wanted to shut up. i said I, I i will pay you 20 rmb to shut this off i don't want to hear it anymore um and the same thing in an airport in the united states i don't mm. want to hear fox or cnn anymore can i just mm. have peace and quiet how do you prepare uh, a company for what they're going to be faced with and what does what does that speed look like how does it change operations how does it change um knowing what you know when you're pitching how does it change your pitch how does it change the deliverables that you've got on your slides and when they're going to be delivered and how much they're going to cost and how does it change the whole thing yeah i if i'm if i'm talking to an american company that wants to go to to china i say okay so we're going to talk about speed the first speed is you need to be patient. You're not, it's not going to be like instant oatmeal. You need so to, the first speed is slow. The first speed is slow, <laughs> really slow. And you need to pump some money in here and it's not going to be instant. Then the next speed is turbocharged and it's, it, it, and it's every day it's two X what it was the day before. And that 
the expectations are if you're, if you're advertising a product, it better be available and they better be able to get it now. And by the way, it's like you can't ruminate over, you know, creative with focus groups and coming up with exactly the right thing. Just get the stuff out there. Just do live tests. See what works. Um, take some chances because that's how Chinese companies operate. They're very tactical. They don't ruminate and think about, so what if we do this? And what if we change that? And it's like, no, make something. Make something now and we'll test it. If it doesn't work, we'll throw it out. We'll try something again. And that's the mentality that if you're coming into the China market or if you're in the China market and struggling, you need to be patient, you need to invest, and you need to realize that uh, as soon as you say go, you better be ready to go. Um, and you better be ready to make some mistakes. You better be ready to fail because the only way you're going to succeed is by failing many, many times. That's how you make it in China. And the speed to fail is the speed to success. I've described China as in a country that's exponential, nothing is linear. Right. So you can't expect it to be so. You can't. No, it, 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 that, that takes me, you know, the clients used to be very literal. They would have, um, okay, so here's a day in a life. So they'd have them, they they'd go to the media department. We want you to do a day in a life of our typical customer of when he wakes up in the morning or she wakes up in the morning until the end of the day. And we want to show how our advertising and messages uh, um, will be able to influence them and what will they do. So in, in, you know, in the old days, it was very linear. Um, I saw these billboards and I saw this print ad and then I see this TV commercial and maybe I get something on my phone. Um, but it's not linear. It's not literal. It's lateral. It's like, I don't know. Day in a life, who are you talking about? You, you, you think it's just one person? You think everybody does the same thing? No. You think about what you do versus your neighbor. So you got to stop thinking like that. What you have to do is you need to think of it as here's what we need to do. Here's who we're going after. We have lots of seeds to sow. Let's throw them out there and see what works. And the more points of contact that you have with someone that's relevant, because it's not content is king, it's context is king. So the more content that you put out there that's contextually relevant, at the right time, that's what you need to go for. And that's not linear. That is no. not literal. It's let's, lateral. Let's talk about that. I want you to go in on that. That's your, that's your key. And, and it's interesting. Tell me about why after all these, all these years, as a young 29 man that you are, yes. after all these years, why is everything come down to context for you? How did you realize it? Why is it that way? What does it mean? Because brands aren't in charge anymore. The customers are steering everything. If if you are going to be carpet bombing and you're going to be remarketing, I know there's a lot of people listening to this that make a lot of money off remarketing, and 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 I'm not saying it's not successful, but it's not the panacea. There needs to be a way for you to be able to get content-rich messages that are not blaring your product or hyping your product, but talking about situations that make your product the answer to their woes and that people will click on it and it's contextually relevant to them and it will take them to some place which will then say this is what we have for you you know we understand your you know your pain 
answer a couple of questions and we'll give you exactly what you need. And that's what people are used to now. They don't want to be going through 200 page websites, clicking through all the tab. No, they have the reason they, and, and that, that's why I love SEO. It's SEO is all about context. SEO is the answer to the test. Someone is putting in that Google box something that's not, guess what? It's very rarely a product name unless, you know, they're talking about proximity marketing. But right now I'm not. They're, they're putting in usually a problem, an issue, a challenge, a headache, and they're hoping to God that on that Google page one, there's something they can click on that's going to take them to Shangri-La. That will give them the answer they need so they can run up to the boss, say, this is what you need, let's buy it, and then go eat lunch. And, and that's all context. If, they have to, if, if we're depending on people to sit through a 25-minute infomercial um, or, or sit through you know, 15 30-second ads daisy-chained, hoping that something's going to resonate with them, like throwing spaghetti on a wall, that's, that's not happening anymore. That's done. It's finished. The last question before we move towards the end here is given and given all the advice that you've that you've given and handed out here today, if you could pick one, I, I think you alluded to it being your, your, your top draft pick. What is your best piece of advice in the moment right now for foreign companies looking to be successful enter, entering China? All right. Um, you're not the smartest guy in a room anymore. So if you're the smartest guy in the room in Indianapolis or New York or, or Dallas, Texas, you are no longer the smartest guy in the room. You get in the room in this other market and you listen. That's all you do. If someone asks you something, if you have something intelligent and relevant to say, by God, say it. But it used to be where the expats would come in and it was all like the professors coming to town. Oh, this is how we did it in the United States. And this is how we launched it. And you don't really know about brands. We're going to teach you about brands. And they'd all be taking notes. Some of them would be sleeping, of course. They'd say concentrating, but I knew they were sleeping. Um, but the lecture would all be one way. This is, this is what we think, and, and this is how we can help you. It's completely reversed now. Now they're going to tell you what they need. And that you will then calibrate the best way to deliver to their needs. So at the end, it's a matter of we delivered on the objectives. We delivered on what the return on investment is. Um, we took a look at a lot of the tactics and we were able to wrap it into a strategy. So it wasn't only tactical. It wasn't a bunch of tactics that would then be post-rationalized into a strategy. No. So that's how we can help is that once the... Someone coming into China is able to listen and understand what's going on. They could then guide it into, let's lift up what you want, how, how, how you want to go about it. And we're going to deliver what your expectations are plus. And, and we're going to invest what's needed. And, and, and that's it. You need to work with people in China that understand that are expert in China. They're not just a bunch of wide boys, as the English would say, talking about, oh, the connections. And I know this guy on you know, name dropping like crazy. Or you don't go to the first guy in China that speaks perfect English. It's like you need to go to people that really will look at you and say bullshit if you say something that is, is ridiculous. They'll look you in the eye and say, that's wrong. 
so you don't go down a path that will lead to the peril without that, that would lead to disaster for both of you, for all of you. So that's it. It's really basic. Listen, work with pros. Um, and here's the most important thing. Know when it's time to go home. Don't sit around with your expense account and, you know, go and, you know, the pig in the whistle and be the big shot. You're past your sale date. You go home. You say, thank you very much. This has been the greatest experience of our, my life and I'll treasure it forever. But I think my time here, my job is done and I couldn't be more thrilled and proud. Well, Scott, if our audience wants to get in touch with you or your company, or perhaps even follow you or your company on social media or, or follow any content that you put out there, whatever, let our audience know where and how to find you. Twitter at Scott and APAC, which is also my Facebook mm -hmm. um, website, which um, is the context collective dot net 415-613-8510 in beautiful austin texas with a san francisco number i look forward to hearing from anybody and anybody heading out for south by southwest this year should uh, definitely use that phone number and find the best watering holes oh you know it i know where to take you <laughs> scott thanks very much buddy i really appreciate you coming My on pleasure. the show uh, take care man thank you very much have a good one Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at wpic.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.